I want to share uh, just a very practical word today from a scripture that's been on my heart for, for several weeks and just been kind of chewing on it a bit. And I just want to share something that we can put into practice immediately in our lives. And the word comes from Ephesians chapter 4. And it talks about words of grace. And that's my topic today, words of grace. Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Father, let these words really sink in today. Lord, in a, in a, on an issue that we deal with and struggle with every single day of our lives, give us something to hold on to so that we can change the way we talk so that the words that we say would bring life and minister grace. So we open our hearts to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a a 31-year-old female who posted a question on a website called answerbag.com. And this is what she, she posted. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. Is this true? Why or why not? There were some very, very heartfelt responses to her question, but one of them in particular, an anonymous person, posted this reply. No, not true at all. I am like a walking scar from numerous things. I have yet to break a bone, but I have had a fair share of physical pain. And I'll tell you now, it is nothing compared to words. Words stay with you forever. They don't heal. They don't go away. They don't leave a cool scar you can tell people about. They torment you. At least physical pain can fade. Words, you can't make them disappear. Very sad. We know that God can heal words. God can do that. We believe that very strongly. But how much better would it be that we don't speak those harmful words to begin with. They're like putting nails into a board. You've heard that illustration. You can take the nails out, but the scar often remains there. So here in chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul the Apostle is exhorting his readers to live genuine Christian lives. He's using the terminology of dress, of, of clothing, And he tells them that they should dress like Christians. It's basically the context that we're dealing with in this verse. They should dress like Christians. That means there are certain things that they need to take off and other things that they need to put on. And their clothing really needs to express who they are in Christ. In verse 25, he he begins to give them some very practical instruction on how to do that. He tells them to take off falsehood and put on truth. He makes it clear to them that they're to put off uh, tolerance for sin uh, with a righteous anger against sin. He tells them they should put off laziness and selfishness and, and put on a good, strong Christian work ethic that is for the benefit of others. And so as he's going through this dressing thing of telling them what to take off and what to put on, he addresses our words as spoken in our text today. And he reveals two steps in that process. First of all, he tells us we have to put off the old. And that's what I want to start with here today. Put off corrupt words. 
let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Now, just reading that casually, you might miss how emphatic that word no is. The word no is an absolute word of denial. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, none. That's really what he's saying. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, none. It takes time to master, and all of us fail at this, but as we age and mature in our walk with Christ, our words should become much less corrupt, as Paul talks about here. And as with anything else, we don't take this to the point of legalism. This doesn't mean we can't have fun with our words. Some joking, even sarcasm can be used at times appropriately. And Paul isn't writing this so that you and I become paranoid about opening our mouths. Um, so we have to be careful not to get too legalistic about it. I mean, when a bunch of guys get together that are friends, you'll notice they begin to jag one another and so on. And that's cool. That's, that's okay. That's acceptable. As long as they're not words that hurt. We're not doing something intentional to hurt. In fact, isn't it funny that the closer guys get to one another, I don't know, it's not, I don't think it's the same with women really, but the closer guys get, the more they jag one another. And that's acceptable. I'm, I'm not saying be a prude and you know, walk around with a sour face and, and uh, it's, it's okay to have fun. But the word here that's, that's translated corrupt, he says, don't let any corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Describe something that is of no use. And when we think of corruption, sometimes we think of decay, something that's rotting. The word here is something that is of no use. And the only other times this word is used in the New Testament they're spoken by Jesus himself. And I want to point out both of those passages to you. The first one is in Matthew 7 and 17. And Jesus says, Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Now, Jesus here is describing with this word corrupt, a tree that brought forth fruit, not that was rotten, but fruit that wasn't useful. There are certain kinds of fruits growing on trees. You can take a walk back in the woods on the church property today. You'll see things growing on trees. I don't recommend you pick them and eat them. They are not useful for food. Maybe the fruit is poisonous. Whatever the case, the fruit here that, Paul's that Jesus is referring to is not usable. It is fruit that is basically good for nothing. And again, in Matthew 13, starting at verse 47, Jesus said, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake, and it caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore, so they didn't catch rotten fish. They caught living fish, they pulled it up on shore, they sat down, and they collected the good fish in the baskets, and they threw the bad fish away. Again, this word bad is the very same word that's used here for corrupt. He's referring to fish that are not edible, fish that are not usable for whatever reason. So when you're casting nets for fish, you catch some useless, inedible fish along with the good ones. So you throw the inedible fish back in the water. And so we need to put off any words, Paul is saying, 
any corrupt words, any words that are not useful or beneficial to other people. Words that are harmful instead of helpful. We need to put those off. I find an interesting parallel in the, in the biblical word belial, B-E-L-I-A-L. It's a word that we never use very often in Scripture. Belial in the Bible, it's an Old Testament word, a Hebrew word, and it is defined as worthlessness. It is used 16 times in the Old Testament, and it, it, it applies to sometimes to words that were spoken, words that were considered useless. Sometimes it refers to people. You have read the phrase, if you've read the Bible at all, sons of Belial. When it uses that term to describe someone in the Old Testament, we're talking about someone who caused great difficulty to the people of God. Eli, the high priest of Israel, Eli's sons were referred to by Samuel as the sons of Belial. You may remember that phrase there. There was a man who cursed King David, and he was described as a man of Belial. There were two false witnesses that, that accused Naboth, a righteous man in the days of Elijah. And uh, Jezebel was behind that, and Ahab, her husband. And these two false witnesses were, were referred to as children of Belial. The word means worthlessness. And, and it's used actually one time in the New Testament. And you'll recognize this verse, 2 Corinthians 6. It says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, Christ and worthlessness? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So there's a, a startling contrast here between fruitful words and useless words. That's the contrast that's being made here. Paul says we need to put off useless words like some out-of-style garment, and we need to put on better words. So, what are corrupt and unwholesome words that we put off? Well, I'm going to address just briefly today the big five. You could find other scripture, but I want to talk about the big five today. And we need to be aware of these because we have the capability of doing so much damage in the body of Christ, in the local church, in our families, in our marriages, we have the ability to do an incredible amount of damage. So the first kind of words I want to talk about are words that manipulate and control. Have you ever heard words that manipulate and control? Have you ever spoken words that manipulate and control? I read about a guy in Phoenix who called his son in New York just before Christmas. And he said, I hate to ruin your day, son, but I have to tell you, your mother and I are divorcing. 45 years of misery is enough. The son said, Dad, what are you talking about? And the dad said, we can't stand the sight of each other any longer. We're sick of each other. I'm sick of talking about it. You can call your sister in Chicago and tell her. And so the son hangs up and frantically calls his sister, and she explodes on the phone. There's no way they're getting divorced. I'll take care of this. And so she called Phoenix, talked to her dad, and screamed at him, you're not getting divorced, and that's final. Don't do a single thing until I'm there. I'm calling my brother back. We'll both be there tomorrow. Until then, don't do a thing. Do you hear me? 
she hung up the phone and her father hung up the phone on his end and he turned to his wife and said, okay, it's set. They're both coming for Christmas. <laughs> and they're paying their own way. Isn't that good? That's manipulating words. And we often use words. We're so, we're so good sometimes at, at manipulating others with our words. And unfortunately, the body of Christ, and that's why Paul's writing it to us, is not immune to those who are adept at this practice. Even the world knows this. I remember some years back, the, the Senate Finance Committee, led by Senator Grassley, was investigating a number of televangelists who had been quite successful at manipulating their followers to give them millions of dollars, in many cases, for their own benefits. This practice occurs in the body of Christ, and sometimes it happens uh, in, in more subtle ways in the church. I've heard of pastors tell me they've had people in their churches threaten to withhold their financial support unless they're put in a particular position in the church. That's mature. How about those who, who start whisper campaigns in order to undermine a change that they don't like, or people who, who make personal attacks against the church leadership in an attempt to get their own way. This kind of stuff happens in the body of Christ, and I'm thankful that I have not observed that kind of behavior here, very, very limited way over the 37 years I've been here. But we still have to be on our guard to make sure that those kind of useless words are not allowed to decay and tear down our church body. The Bible and the Proverbs in particular have a lot to say about those who use manipulative words. In Proverbs 15 and 4, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Deceitful tongue is manipulating with words to get what it wants. Don't use your words to manipulate and control other people. The second of the big five are words that hurt. Words that hurt. That person who, um, I'm sorry. <clears throat> I got on the wrong page here. The anonymous person who, who responded to that question on answerbag.com had experienced words that hurt them in their life. But they're not alone. I'm pretty sure that we could spend the rest of this sermon time just sharing how other people have hurt us with their words. The writer of Proverbs says this in 12:18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There are people whose words are like a sword thrashing around, and they stab you. They wound you. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Sometimes we use words that pierce like a sword to intentionally afflict hurt on others. Those are unwholesome words. But there are times when we, we stab at others with our words and we don't even know it. We pass our words through our lips as though they're just harmless fun. But we need to think about how our words can hurt other people, even if it's not our intention. Because once they're out of our mouths, like toothpaste that comes out of a tube, there's no getting it back in. Once those words are spoken, they've done their damage. And so words that hurt can be in the form of, of criticism. People 
can be made to feel like they can't do anything right. Some of you grew up with that kind of criticism. You couldn't do anything right. A household where either one or both of your parents could not be pleased. And you know how crippling those kind of words can be. Other people use hurtful words of sarcasm. Again, sarcasm is not always wrong. There is no doubt Jesus used sarcasm. He referred to the Pharisees as blind leaders of the blind. That's sarcastic. He referred to the the Pharisees as people who choke on a gnat but swallow a camel. It's sarcasm. He said they were whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He used sarcasm to expose the motives of the hypocritical leaders and to protect those who are innocent. But sarcasm can be used, and believe me, I, I, I grew up good at sarcasm. I mean, in a bad way. I grew up good at sarcasm. And so I know how it can hurt people. I've had it used against me, but I've used it more so myself before I knew Christ in in a very, very negative way. So I I know what I'm talking about with this, but sarcasm is, um, is defined as true opinions that are hidden in humor. We say something that sounds funny, that tries to elicit a laugh, but when we have this, this kind of broken sarcasm, we're trying to say something we really think about someone in a funny way. We're trying to criticize them in a palatable way. And that's how we use it. We sound like we're joking, but we're trying to get our point across. And while people might laugh around us, the words aren't funny to those who are hurt by them. So let's be careful not to use hurtful words. The next of the big five This is a tough one. These are careless words. Careless words. Jesus gave us a very sobering warning about careless words in Matthew 12. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they've spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, by your words you will be condemned. How many times... Have we said, well, I didn't really mean to say that. But Jesus is clear. We're going to have to give an account for every careless word that we speak. Again, Proverbs 21 and 23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Guard your words. Don't say things carelessly. In other words, we need to learn to think before we speak. Sometimes... The Bible says, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. That's in James. Quick to hear, slow to speak. So what he's saying is we need to think before we speak. Careless words can make us look foolish. They can give us a laugh. There's a few examples. I read some things that were spoken by political leaders this week. They're kind of funny. And this was said by a former mayor of Washington, D.C. He said, if you take out the killings... Washington, D.C. actually has a very low crime rate. (laughs) Isn't that great? A senator from California, those who survived the San Francisco earthquake, said, thank God I'm still alive. But of course, those who died, their lives will never be the same again. (laughs) Kind of mindless words. A, a, A sports broadcaster who said, 
the word genius isn't applicable in football. A genius is a guy like Norman Einstein. <laughs> Careless words, and, and they're funny. You know, you can read, there's, there's whole lists of these things, and, and you can read them, and, and things that people say that get them in a jam. And most times when we hear careless words like that, they're harmless, sometimes funny. But that's not always the case with the careless words that we speak to sometimes to people we love. So we need to think before we speak. Have you ever been around someone who spoke words that just made everyone cringe? <laughs> Maybe you've been there, you've spoken cringeworthy words. And we, say, we excuse ourselves and we say, well, I, I just talked without thinking. Well, let's stop talking before we think. Let's be mindful that our careless words can actually cause damage to people. Let's be more careful with our words. The next one, the big five, is gossip and slander. Will Rogers said, the only time people dislike gossip is when it's about them. Because I think if we would be honest, all of us can fall into this issue called gossip. We don't seem to have a very good handle on it, but the Bible condemns gossip. My pastor used to say, he used to say, gossip is sharing something with another person where I am not part of the problem or the solution. I'm telling you a story. It's not my story. I'm not part of the problem. I'm not part of the solution to the problem. Um, that's what gossip really is. In other words, I'm talking about things to you that are none of my business or yours usually. And it's, it's sad. Gossip is not only a matter of, of what we say about other people, but what our purpose is when we say those things. You know, even things that are true about another person can easily become gossip. We need to be careful... <laughs> Even with prayer requests. I have heard prayer requests that are nothing but gossip. I mean, pray for so, pray for so and so. Do you know she's doing it? And then you just let loose with the details about their life of which you are not part of the problem or the solution. So watch out for gossip prayer requests. <laughs> Be careful with those because they can become gossip. So a good rule of thumb is if I wouldn't say something about a person in his or her presence, I shouldn't say it if they're not present. That's a good rule of thumb for that. Again, Proverbs says in chapter 16, a perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 20 and 19, a gossip betrays confidence, so avoid the man who talks too much. Gossip can be incredibly harmful to a local church. I heard someone say when I was a young Christian, that there are people in the church who could start a revival just by keeping their mouth shut. <laughs> I love that. In my years in this church, I've heard very little gossip, but that which I have heard has been very harmful to others and sometimes to me. And so if we're not part of the problem or solution, let's keep our mouths closed and not repeat things. Our relationships in the body of Christ are far too valuable for this. And so, gossip and, and is a, a damaging thing. The, the last one I want to touch on quickly of the big five is flattery, and I want to close up with saying some of the positive end of this uh, passage of Scripture. Flattery. 
The dictionary defines flattery as excessive or insincere praise. My, my own definition of this is flattery is when you compliment me for your benefit. When you compliment me for your benefit. You're saying something nice to me so that it'll benefit you. Not because you really think that nice thing about me or whatever, but you're, you're doing it to benefit yourself. So it's really an insincerity. William Penn, the founder of this, this state, said, avoid flatterers because they are thieves in disguise. That's what I'm saying. They're trying to take something from you. They're not trying to build you up. They're trying to take something from you. And again, Proverbs addresses this. He who rebukes a man, Proverbs 28, in the end will gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. What he's saying is better to be honest and tell someone how you feel than to say something nice to them for your own personal gain. And so we have to take off these big five issues with our speech. We have to take them off and put on the news. So I want to look at the rest of the verse uh, and wrap up this message with that. Put on edifying words. We're putting off corrupt words. We're putting on edifying words. I want to read the text again. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the ears. Two words I want to point out here. Edification and grace. Speak words for necessary edification. Edification is a compound word in the, uh, in the Greek. And the first part of the word is oikos, and that's the family word of the New Testament. The word oikos talks about a household. When Paul talks to local churches, he refers to them as the oikos, uh, the household of faith. And the word oikos could also refer to your home, your family in your home. And so that's part of the word for edification. The other part, it's oikos doma, and that means the building or the edifice. And so what we're, Paul, Paul's repeating this language that he used in Ephesians 2 when he talked about how we're a living temple, stones being put together. What Paul's saying here, when he uses the word edification, he's saying it's the family house. It's the building of the family house. That's what edification actually is. When we are edifying one another, we are building the family house. And we're not talking about physical brick and mortar type stuff. We're talking about our lives, our hearts, our spiritual maturity. God gives us the ability to edify one another. That is to build the family up with our words. And um, notice he says that it is that which is useful for necessary edification. Necessary edification. We need to be edified, all of us. So we have to be careful that our words don't tear down, but rather are used to build up. So that's what edification is. Our words need to edify. And again, think before you speak. Are these words going to build this person up. That doesn't mean they're, they're never confrontational. Sometimes even words of rebuke will eventually build a person up. But we have to be careful that what we say is not going to tear them down. And then he says, our words should impart grace to those who hear them. Our words can actually provide an impartation to people. Impart grace 
to people who are in the household of faith with us. We can speak words that actually give grace. Now, grace is undoubtedly Paul's favorite word. And we have reduced its meaning to favor. Um, We often say that grace is favor, and it is. But as I've taught you in the past, it is more. While grace expresses undeserved favor of God in our lives, it is also a favor that empowers us, okay? Grace doesn't just smile on us. Grace gives us strength for the Christian life. You need to always think of grace in that way. Not just the favor of God, but the empowering of God to do what He called me to do, to be what He's called me to be. So, an empowering of God to fulfill our calling and purpose. And here, it's an empowering to speak words of life to the fellow members of the household. And when those words come out of my mouth, they enable a person. They don't just smile at the person, they enable them. They, they build them up to the point where they are strengthened. A, a similar passage is used in Colossians 4 and verse 6. He says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you may know how to answer everyone. Salt enhances flavor. Salt preserves life. That's what our words should do. When they're words of grace, they should enhance flavor and, uh, and, and preserve life. Proverbs 15 and 4, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. Think of that, a tree of life. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Again, death and life in the words that we say. And so it's critically important for us to weigh our words. And as I said, this is just a very practical message to get us to pay attention. We need to be reminded of some of the, the basics from time to time to get us to pay attention to one of the most important things that happens when you walk through these doors, the things that you say. And if we would just really take notice of how helpful our words could be, how harmful they can be, it would make a big difference. I want to say a word before I close about posture. You know, body language, when you're talking to someone, body language can be very important. I mean, it can be very, very um, helpful or it can be harmful. Um, so what, what I just want to say a couple of things very practically, and I caught myself about a year ago on this one. Pastor Wendy, could you come on up here a second? Could you stand here? I just want to use you as an illustration. You don't have to say anything. I'm just going to, I'm doing the, to- oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway, so posture is very important. And here's what happened. I found myself in a situation where I was in a hurry to go and do something, and someone came up to me and started sharing their heart with me. And so here, here was my posture. I was talking to them like this. And it's, in other words, like I'm in the starting block. I'm ready to run. Get the message. You know, I'm ready to run. And the Holy Spirit just, it, it, it happened in, on a Sunday morning in here. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart and said, stand and, and face them and give them the dignity of being heard. And I, 
And it's just, it's, it seemed clear to me. So I, I, at that moment, I squared myself to that person. And I do, I, I'm intentional about that now. So if you talk to me and you see me turned away, um, just walk around to the front of me right here so I'm standing <laughs> straight at you. Because people, people need to be respected and, and spoken to that way. Oh, I'm almost done. Look, look in their eyes. Wendy told me this morning, you, you told me today that the girls, me. the girls told you that we're supposed to look at our spouse's eyes four minutes, four minutes straight. What does that do? Okay, it's a deeper connection. Remember that one too. That's, we throw that one in free. <laughs> anyway, look in the eyes of the person that you're talking about. There's nothing worse than you're talking to someone there like this. You know, their eyes are wandering. Talking to. Look Look at their eyes. You, that's, a, that's a respectful gesture as well. Another thing, be careful of body gestures. Like, <laughs> listen to me. Or, you know, like, you know, tie, tie them. be careful of even physical. Some people are cool with that. And you know the people that you can talk to freely. And, uh, you know, some people, they like to hug and embrace and touch. Some people don't, so be sensitive to, you know, different ways that people, what their comfort level is. In other words, so don't try to tie their arms up or anything like that. And um, genuinely listen, and then I'll let you get down. I'm sorry. <laughs> genuinely listen to them. And, and a very practical thing you can do is give a little bit of feedback. When you're listening to someone, it really helps when you say something in response to them. Like they're talking to you, they're telling you something. You know, you, you can do all those other things, look them in the eye and turn around and walk away. It's like, did they even hear me? You know, just say, wow, um, that must be difficult. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're, you're going through that. Or, uh, you know, wow, I, I will definitely be praying for you. Give them some kind of verbal feedback when they're talking to you and sharing their hearts with you. It's very, very helpful. So even our posture is important. While our words are extremely important, the way we posture our bodies to someone is, uh, can be very helpful or hurtful at the same time. So be alert to that. And so I want to finish up with just, just admonishing you today to start immediately. Start today. It'd really be nice if you could do it before you even leave the building today. But speak some words that compliment, some, some words that encourage, some, some words to, to one another. Uh, as, as spouses, speak words of life today to one another and words that will minister grace to them.